Welcome to the forum at Holy Communion. My name is Mike. I am one of the priests. Uh, today I am joined by another one of the priests, at least for another week and a half, uh, the Reverend Mark Smith. Uh, Mark, it is a joy to be with you. Uh, today's forum, we're talking about your time with us here at Holy Communion as you prepare to wrap up that time, which is sort of hard for me to believe. I wonder if we could start uh, five years ago when you came as priest associate, if you could talk about some of your early memories of coming to Holy Communion. Oh, gosh, Mike. Uh, first, uh, what a privilege uh, to be here with uh, with you and uh, via this link with uh, the Holy Communion uh, faithful. Uh, several early memories uh, from my transition. Uh, the first was uh, I needed some spiritual energy. Mm -hmm. uh, serving at Ascension, while one of the great joys and gifts of my life, uh, was also extraordinarily demanding. I uh, was the only clergy person uh, in the congregation, a uh, congregation who by cultural history is different than my own, uh, a congregation whose uh, sensibility around liturgy and music different than mine. Uh, their experience with issues of violence, different than mine. Uh, and while a joy to serve them, uh, it was emotionally and physically uh, uh, extraordinarily demanding. Uh, so at that point, following my late wife Mary's death, when I decided it was time to uh, rejuvenate, uh, was exceptionally grateful for the opportunity uh, to talk with you, Mike, uh, about uh, the possibilities at uh, Holy Communion, uh, both for the service I could provide, but also for the time to reflect on and integrate what I thought I had learned in my first few years of ministry at Ascension, a place that I still uh, treasure and dearly love and has shaped much of my work uh, at Holy Communion. The other uh, part of uh, uh, the transition, however, was I think uh, a week after my first sermon, I had to announce to you and to the congregation that I'd been diagnosed with prostate cancer and was out for the next six weeks. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden, the new kid on the block was the uh, new homebound in need of uh, the church's pastoral care. I remember, the, I remember those days, partly our conversations. And I, I mean, we had been meeting, we'd been in a Bible study together um, that first those first several months that I was rector of Holy Communion before you came. And I remember you and uh, Michael who were working on the merger of All Saints and Ascension uh, and our conversations, it was a relief to you when I said, yeah, you, you don't really need to worry about too much work with the vestry or the structural work of the church or the financial piece. Like what we really need help with is pastoral care and adult formation. And I just watched the light in your eyes go, oh, those would be fun. I could, um, and to that, that period of your life was a period of big transition. Uh, you were going through a lot. You were, you know, grieving the death of uh, Mary and you were coming into the end of your first call as a priest and you were physically moving. Uh, and then to layer on top of it, the cancer diagnosis and treatment, which thankfully was very simple, but, uh, and that Bishop Smith assured both you and me that you were going to be in the hands of good doctors because they had been his doctors for the exact same diagnosis and procedures and thing uh, was a, that was a lot to go through at the beginning. But in some ways, uh, because you were 
coming specifically around questions of pastoral care was also strangely fortuitous because you got to be cared for by the community that you were going to come and reflect on the questions of care with. Um, do you remember any particular, you know, I, what, how did the congregation care for you in that time? Uh, for, recall that uh, very few uh, members of the congregation, unless they had been involved with things like diocesan convention, uh, knew who I was. Uh, and yet uh, cards, telephone calls, an occasional uh, uh, item of food, especially in the first uh, week or two where I was, much as I enjoy cooking, I couldn't do it uh, uh, very capably. Uh, and perhaps most important, the warm sense of grace welcoming me back. Yeah. Uh, and I think what it confirmed for me was how spiritually drained I had been uh, wrapping up uh, not only my time at Ascension, but obviously the loss of, of my wife, uh, and that I needed some care, something that I think uh, it, it's a healthy reminder for all of us, uh, clergy and lay people alike, uh, that we all have needs uh, and all need that kind of care and understanding. Yeah. And you launched into pretty quick, I mean, we in the, that those early days, we were sort of doing an analysis of Holy Communion and your role. And frankly, it's something that I've ended up sharing with a number of colleagues in ministry, um, the pastoral care plan and procedures that you really took a lead on helping put together and draft. You ended up working on pastoral care with the vestry and me um, and with the pastoral care providers. But can you talk a little bit about that experience and about you know, where we have ended up with pastoral care? Certainly. Uh, the heart of my ministry has, from the day I blurted out to my late wife, uh, all I want to do is be a parish priest, hmm. uh, has really revolved around pastoral care. Uh, so having the opportunity, uh, one, just to spend some time early on, Mike, with you, uh, reflecting on your vision of pastoral care, mine and sort of our collective experiences uh, in caring for uh, uh, members of our, of our faith community uh, was a terribly healthy way to start that process. Mm -hmm. Second, engaging members of the congregation in reflection on their own experiences with pastoral care. What worked well for them? What didn't? What do they expect of us? And then having the opportunity to distill that in a document that was that reflected our theology, but also set priorities and boundaries. Uh, boundaries for us as clergy, boundaries for the people we serve within the congregation and appropriate expectations that both the congregation and its leadership, the vestry, uh, can count on. Uh, I think perhaps many among us, unless you've served in a pastoral role don't realize how complicated those encounters can quickly become. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the, uh, the virtue of the document that you and I jointly developed and the vestry uh, approved is that it has withstood the test of time. It's guided us in ways that uh, have minimized uh, pastoral conflict uh, within, uh, within the congregation and given a solid ground to stand on when people challenge why why didn't we do X, Y, or Z, or yeah. why don't we do uh, something, uh, we have a context uh, 
in which to have that conversation. Yeah, one of the conversations I remember really well from that, well, two, um, I, in all honesty, one was uh, when you talk about boundaries, one of those boundaries is in the world of social media where you know people post stuff on Facebook and stuff all the time, one of the expectations we set was if you need pastoral care, reach out to the parish. Um, don't expect us to have seen something on Facebook or to somehow know that you've gone to the hospital. Like We do need you to initiate contact with us if you would like a pastoral visit. Um, and that, that I, I remember you were very reassuring that that was an okay thing to ask of folks, that in some ways in, in a place where we're trying to learn more about what consent means and what invitation means, really saying, you know, like, ask the parish for the pastoral care when you need it. Have a friend or a neighbor or a, you know, a caretaker reach out to the parish if you need that, but that there's an expectation and that it was okay to set that expectation. And as we checked in with the members of the parish that had been most involved in pastoral care, we had a pretty universal, like, yeah, that would alleviate a lot of conflict if we just said out loud something that we all sort of wish was true, which is we really wish it was, you know, not the, the hardest conversation is sometimes when somebody says, well, I was in the hospital and the priest or the member of the parish goes, well, I didn't know. So how we resolve that is to put that expectation there. The other was broadening pastoral care. Um, I remember conversations you and I had with the vestry and with members and particularly Mary Hegarty, who then went on to be ordained later around broadening and, and seeing the work that we do around social justice to be part of our pastoral ministry, that the two are, are, are deeply linked. That's been a big part of your ministry too, um, both at Holy Communion and beyond Holy Communion. Can you talk a little bit about your work as deputy for gun violence prevention and the curriculum and all that work that you've been able to do? Mike, I think you raise a very important point uh, regarding not only the document itself, but the way in which we've implemented that document, lived into it over the course of several years. Uh, it has helped us link the dots. Uh, yeah. It has helped us understand that being God's hands and feet and heart and eyes and ears in the community is not separate and distinct from the care that we share, that that's yeah. part of who we're called to be both as clergy and as, as laity. Uh, and a key to that process also has been uh, our lay Eucharistic ministers uh, who picked up on uh, those activities in a new way, formed their own community. And while uh, much of those activities have been put on hold uh, through the pandemic, uh, they've been steadfast in making certain that our homebound people uh, are called at least once a week. Uh, so that uh, their connection with the church and us with them uh, remains. To your more specific point uh, about the way in which uh, pastoral, uh, our sense of pastoral theology has guided my own work, uh, it's focused my attention uh, on violence and the prevention of violence uh, in a very specific way. Like I mentioned a moment ago, coming out of the experience in Ascension where uh, violence, especially with guns, was all too prevalent. Uh, while I felt it in my heart, I couldn't conceptualize what to do with it, uh, mm. how to wrap my head around it. Uh, and the initial work on the pastoral care document gave me the freedom to begin to think of 
ministry surrounding issues of violence as part of the pastoral work that we do. So we now have an electronic uh, multimedia curriculum uh, soon to be available online through uh, the Episcopal Church's forward movement called Each Other's Keeper, the Church's Response to Violence. Focuses on uh, violence in scripture as well as violence as a phenomenon in American culture. Uh, gun violence, uh, bullying and suicide, sexualized violence, and certainly and perhaps most importantly, uh, reconciliation and forgiveness. Uh, we're pleased that although initially it was a bit hard to get traction on those issues in many Episcopal parishes, uh, with some nice support from uh, the uh, province of Episcopal churches in the Midwest and Upper Midwest and the support of bishops uh, against gun violence has enabled the publication and broader dissemination of this work. Uh, in the coming year, we're hoping to add uh, new chapters, uh, uh, the first on the influence of religious fundamentalism, the, the religious right, if you will, on violent political extremism uh, in our country. And then another chapter on the nature of violence in religious traditions, essentially asking the question, are religions, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, are religions inherently violent? Mm. Uh, and so we'll be exploring those and bringing them online, uh, hopefully within uh, within the next year. It's As you talk, I think about those uh, early sessions with the curriculum that you led sort of pilot here at Holy Communion uh, in the forum setting and the the deep engagement that this congregation brought into that work. Um, I know some of the multimedia work you had partners from the parish that helped participate in developing the curriculum in that way. Uh, so it's been fun to be both the ground where you hang your soul and you preach and you celebrate and exercise ministry, but also your laboratory a little bit as you have been working on these questions that will be out there with the wider church. Uh, and in that regard, Mike, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't at the, the same time share share two other things. One, the, uh, the, the wonderful pastoral and personal joy of working with the, the ladies of the guild. Mm. Uh, not only do I enjoy doing Bible study, but often uh, their wisdom and experience has shaped my understanding of pastoral issues, including uh, the prevention of violence in ways that I simply could not have gotten to uh, on my own. And their generosity uh, over these five years has been extraordinary. Uh, and the second uh, is your encouragement and leadership in inviting me into a greater engagement in community activism mm -hmm. uh, and using my own experience as a platform to express that uh, in, in productive ways. Uh, uh, so whether in marches or in press conferences, uh, in various civic boards and uh, group activities, uh, have so greatly appreciated the support of Holy Communion in getting the word out. Yeah, there are a couple of images of you that I will always hold on to. I mean, one of which is we're using to advertise the retirement party that, you know, dancing with the parasols uh, in the Palm Sunday parade, which the parasols were your idea and they were great fun. Um, 
But but the other images will always be that uh, picture of you at the March for Our Lives Against Gun Violence, the St. Louis March um, mm -hmm. after uh, the major episode of school gun violence in Florida, where you're holding that sign that says, wait, remind me exactly what the wording was because it's funny. The only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a priest with a poster. A priest with a poster. So I, that image, um, the snark that you and I share that I think sometimes surprises some of our colleagues and people in ministry, we, we really do like each other. We just also rib each other a little bit. Um, but the, the commitment and the joy that you brought to that real commitment to work for change um, was evident there. The other image that I, I mean, images that come up now that my phone has this feature where it reminds me of, you know, memories, but I, almost weekly, there's a picture of you and I and somebody being ordained in between the two of us. Mm -hmm. um, both of us have just this year reached 10 years being mm -hmm. priests, but we've had the joy of standing alongside a number of uh, women colleagues that have gone from lay Eucharistic ministers and active lay ministers in the parish setting to being ordained. Um, we've got to replenish our stock of lay Eucharistic visitors when the pandemic allows us to really reignite that ministry, in part because we just keep ordaining them out and sending them off to other parishes, right? But, um, but it has been a real joy to watch, and I think it's something that we share, but I know that your mentorship and your leadership around here has been such a value addition for folks that are being raised up in ministry um, to have somebody like you to come and talk with about pastoral ministry, about violence, um, and just somebody who's been around the block a few more times than I have uh, to talk about um, you know, any questions has been a real value as we've been raising up leaders here at Holy Communion. You know, it's, it's interesting you should mention that, Mike. I think uh, as I look back on uh, the breadth of my career, certainly in my healthcare days, uh, the notion uh, or the opportunity uh, to mentor uh, young people uh, coming into healthcare leadership roles uh, and provide them with perspective and experience uh, mm -hmm. is something that really has carried over into my, my clerical life. Uh, it's really a joy to uh, spend time with people who are going through a discerning process that is so recent in my own history. You know, yeah. as you mentioned, uh, I've only been a priest for 10 years. So uh, the, those, the kinds of questions they're wrestling with are still on my mind. Yeah, no, it, it's been really fun. I mean, it, it's you and I came to the priesthood at different times in our own lives, but in the same year. Uh, and so in some ways we had about the same amount of parish experience uh, coming into Holy Communion and it's been really interesting to have that reflection with you uh, and, and to get to do that, to get to be alongside folks coming up for ministry. As, as we talk about that, I, I want to turn. Um, one of the big transitions in your life uh, is upcoming and is related to another big transition, which is I remember meeting Debbie. Um, I remember really liking Debbie when you brought her to the congregation and told me about her and just, you know, she made me smile and watching you two together made me smile. But the moment I remember from Debbie coming into your life and our life as a congregation most was it, she, you two started seeing each other and, and publicly seeing each other uh, at a time when we were assigning clergy to go down and be with 
the Trinity Food Ministry uh, that we do one Sunday a month. And I remember Scott Ferguson, who is chairing that ministry, calling me afterward. And I said, you know, how did Trinity go today? He said, good. I said, how'd Mark do? He said, well, you can send Mark. He's fine. Uh, but can you send Debbie every week? Uh, he's just fantastic. And I said, would that I could. Um, but can you talk a little bit about the next adventure that the two of you are off uh, in my home state and what's drawing you there? Sure. Uh as I think many in the congregation know, Debbie and I have known each other for more than 30 years. Uh, we were both married and subsequently widowed and then reconnected uh, a number of years ago. Uh, and early in our dating life, uh, Debbie made it very clear that her intent was to retire to Colorado to be close to her elder son, who's an attorney with Google, and his wife, the local realtor, and at the same time be also closer to her younger son, an engineer in Seattle. Uh, and she asked if I was game for that. And I said, absolutely. What a great adventure. Uh, I'd spent time with my aunt and uncle who lived uh, uh, in Denver and Breckenridge uh, during my uh, uh, adolescent and early college years uh, and enjoyed Colorado greatly. So looking forward to it. So uh, we're at a point in our lives uh, where it seems appropriate to make that move. And We've purchased a house in Longmont, uh, which is on the north side of Boulder, uh, roughly a, an hour north of uh, Denver. Uh, and Debbie will continue her legal practice, uh, commuting regularly to St. Louis for the time being, and uh, as she develops relationships in Colorado. Uh, and my hope uh, will be to meet with uh, uh, Bishop Dion and Bishop Kim Lucas, who's the Bishop of Colorado by Zoom next week uh, to talk about uh, what role I might play uh, in the diocese. I think first and foremost, uh, to be able to continue to write uh, on the curriculum. Uh, I'd like to be able uh, to assist uh, congregations occasionally uh, if they need, uh, especially a, a, a longer term uh, supply priest for someone who is out for uh, an illness or recovering from surgery or short sabbatical, uh, and uh, then have developed uh, some skills and attended a number of training sessions around conflict resolution and mediation, uh, and have now been a priest long enough to realize that churches, like any other organization, find themselves at loggerheads from time to time, and having a, a mediator with no dog in the hunt uh, uh, would be valuable. So I'm hoping Bishop Lucas uh, we'll pick up on that. Mm -hmm. So many gifts to give, uh, and you'll will, we really will wherever. And it sounds like one of the nice things about Colorado is there are lots of places to land, uh, including every once in a while the parish that if you pick up a Sunday, I'll hand you a ski ticket or a golf pass up in the mountains. So, uh, uh, yeah, let me let me know if you want any ends on that one. My mom has done a couple of those over the years, but. Uh, we're going to miss you around here, Mark. I, it would be remiss if I didn't finish by saying, and I'll get to say a little bit on the 24th too, but because you're leaving in the midst of, you know, the Delta variant and where we are right now, we can't do the kind of normal thing that we would do. But I would be remiss if I didn't say publicly what a gift your ministry has been to Holy Communion as it's been evident through this whole conversation. But to me personally, uh, you came, you know, at a time when I really could use a colleague and to have somebody with a sense of humor and a sense of grace and 
from whom I could learn and with whom I could laugh. You've brought perspective at times when I really needed perspective. Uh, and you've just brought so much to this place. So I just want to say it's, it's been such a joy. I'm selfishly glad that you picked Colorado because it means that you know, every once in a while when I go visit my family, we can go check out one of the thousands of interesting breweries on the Front Range. Uh, but uh, we will deeply miss you around here. Um, yeah. And I, I want to give you one last chance and then I'll plug uh, the times that folks have to connect with you before you go coming up. Mike, uh, let me echo those uh, same sentiments. Uh, I came to Holy Communion at a time where uh, I probably didn't appreciate how much care I needed. Uh, and Holy Communion embraced me, welcomed me, lifted me up. Uh, and I think you and I have talked about uh, a photograph uh, that has appeared on your phone from time to time. Uh, my first Christmas at Holy Communion, uh, where I found myself bawling as I was listening to the organ play and the choir sing, something I hadn't uh, heard uh, in a number of years and just uh, reminded me of the tremendous joy. Uh, the second is uh, the appreciation to learn from you and with you. Uh, you have creative energy that is boundless. Uh, you've made me a priest far better than I could have ever been uh, on my own uh, and a friendship that will endure. Yeah. Uh, for all of us, I am grateful. And to all of you who are watching this video, thank you uh, for walking Christ's journey with me and letting me walk with you. I'm, I'm so glad that, I mean, I'm not glad that you're leaving now, but I'm glad you waited long enough that the organ is back and we've got a fabulous organist uh, to play A Mighty Fortress is Our God on your last Sunday. You know, I think that that's a, uh, as, as somebody who's a longtime cultural Lutheran, I think that you know, getting to do that with a real organ is going to be a good thing. It will be great. It will be a great joy. So on this Sunday, October 17th at the nine o'clock hour, uh, we invite you to join us. If the weather's nice, we'll be out on the front lawn with bagels and coffee. If the weather's not as nice, we'll be inside with masks on. We'll get a chance to talk with Mark, uh, reflect with him, do some question and answer. And then on the 24th, Mark will be our preacher at all three services, eight o'clock, 1030. And then the four o'clock service. After the four o'clock service, we're having our fall festival which is partly our annual fall festival and partly a celebration of Mark and his time with us. And it happens to also be his birthday. Uh, and so we'll also be celebrating Mark's birth. And so we hope you're able to join us uh, in person or online in the coming uh, Sundays as we wish Mark a bon voyage and, uh, and we, and we you know, get a chance to bless him as he goes. So Mark, thank you so much. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you this Sunday.